storm is coming. In Genesis chapter 6, the Bible through chapter 7, the Bible declares that God intervened into uh, the world and told a man named Noah that he was going to destroy the earth and that he was going to do it by a flood and that he wanted him to build a boat. You know the story. You can go to South Carolina, I think, and someone said, and see a, a replica of, of the ark. It happened just like God said it would. The, the rain, when it began, rained 40 days and 40 nights. It, the, God flooded the earth. You say, well, there's no proof of that. Go to the top in Elizabethan, Tennessee. Go to the top mountain in Elizabethan in a place called Doe River Gorge, and you will see fossils on top of that bridge where it is one of the highest places in elevation in America, and you'll see that this earth was submerged underwater and that there were actually fossils left, believe it or not, in that part of the country. You see, I personally believe that while it's true that I am a statesman, I, I love America, I pray, I thank God every day I was born in America, I've been to Mexico, I've been to Haiti, I've been to the, uh, not, well, I've been to the Bahamas, and uh, I've been to uh, Honduras, and I've been to these four countries, and every time I come back, I go through a little ritual privately where I get down on my knees and I kiss this earth that God placed me in. I don't know why he allowed you and me to be born in a country that is blessed so like it is in America. And you may not feel blessed, but I'll take you. We're fixing to go to Honduras in August and you're sure welcome to go. And we'll show you just how poor things can really be and how politically it can be in such a mess and turmoil under dictatorship. I believe in, in the, the little clip that shared 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. There's no doubt in my mind that America is a sick nation. We're not a sick nation because we don't have an upcoming military to protect us. We're a sick nation because we are caught up in a, uh, a, a diversion away from a holy God. We're, we're caught up in, in a spiritual dilemma of where God, like the day of Noah... He, he's hearing us. Matter of fact, all throughout this land today, all over America, Christians, and I'm, I'm begging some of you to come to this altar at the end of the service, not because I've asked you to, but because Christians are joining July the 1st as a day of prayer for our nation. I'm asking you to bend your knee, humble your life, and lift up a prayer that God might be able to hear. A whole nation, the nation, the Hebrew nation was in bondage in, in Egypt. And these guys begin to cry out of the poverty and the, and the, the persecution that they were going on, going in. And when Moses or had an encounter at the burning bush with God Almighty, here's what the Bible says. 
God said to Moses, I'm calling you to lead my people out of Egypt. And here's what God said, because I've heard the prayers of my people. Now, listen to me. God will hear us today and many voices across this nation if we'll lift up our prayers, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, and God will promise to heal our land. We've become a nation where the criminal is defied, glorified, exalted, where victims are vilified, they're degraded, defamed, and declared guilty until proven innocent. And we're where evil is called good and good is called evil. We have become a nation where the life of a snail darter and a spot, spotted owl are, is more important than the life of a baby in the womb of her mother. We are a nation that is marked by moral regression, sexual revolution, and spiritual rebellion. I predict that before America is conquered within, we are going to spiritually rot uh, internally. We're not going to be conquered by countries I do not believe on the outside. We are going to die not by homicide, but by suicide. We are actually a part of a nation that has fallen apart, even though we would be led to believe that we're in no trouble whatsoever. Look at the national debt. If you and I were just a little bit, and maybe we are in debt, as our country is in debt, you and I would have to bankrupt. And somehow we're on a political realm of totally falling apart. A bit, but America's biggest problem is not inflation. It's not interest rates. It's not budget deficits. It's not even crime. Our biggest problem here in America and in God's churches today is in a three-letter word, word called sin. You and I are caught up in things that we shouldn't be caught up in. We're involved in things we shouldn't be involved in. And you and I need to kneel before a holy God doing a a spiritual examination of our commitment to him because there is coming a storm just like took place in the days of Noah, just like that took place in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was Billy Graham or someone of that stature who said, if God doesn't do something with America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes, you can rest assured and you don't have to worry. There is a storm coming. It is brewing just like it was brewing in the days of before the flood and just like the storm that hit Sodom and Gomorrah. Our biggest threat is not nuclear proliferation, terrorism, communism, or even humanism. America's biggest threat is God Almighty. And God is getting sick of what's going on in America today. He's getting sick of what's going on not only in America, but outside of America. Look, we're one of the few, and we're going down the tubes that are holding up the cross of Jesus. And uh, other countries are holding up the crosses of whoever. But in this country, we still consider ourselves under God Almighty. Yahweh God, personal name for our God in heaven. America's only hope is not better government, new political leadership, balanced budgets, or nuclear missiles or dollar bills. 
Our only hope is that we turn back to the creator. We turn back to the one that not only brought us into this life, but as a believer, he, bre- he allowed the breath of the Holy Spirit of God to come into you and I and to stamp his approval and to seal us, the Bible says, until the day of redemption, until the time that the storm is, is over and that we will be with the Lord Jesus. You say, Mike, this storm you're talking about, what is it? It's called the tribulation. Do you believe that the tribulation, that God's people are going to go through the seven-year tribulation? No, I don't. But I do believe there will be people here. There will be people, people who claim and profess to know God. I believe that the churches will fill up during the time of the tribulation. I believe the ministries that are on campus through the medical clinic, our food ministry, and all the other ministries, I believe they'll continue right on, right in the tribulation period. But unfortunately, this earth is going to see a storm like never been seen before in this earth. You say, well, Mike, do you believe that America is in biblical prophecy? No, I don't. I'm sorry. But I believe the picture of America is in the Bible. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs 30. And I want you to hear a little bit of what Hagar looked down through the future portals and saw a nation, saw a world, saw a a group of people, and he described them. And I think what he's describing at least is a mirror of America. Verse 11, Proverbs 30. Some people curse their father and do not thank their mother. They feel pure, but they're filthy and unwashed. They're proud beyond description and disdainful. They devour the poor with teeth as sharp as swords or knives, and they destroy the needy from the face of this earth. You see, my friend, God, as he opened up, he showed the characteristics to Hagar of a generation on its last leg. I believe we in America are so on the verge of seeing this perfect storm that America will never ever, thank God, will ever be the same. That God will do a work in this, in, in your life and mine, and he will do a work in, in America and this world like it's never been seen before. You see, when I look at America, I, again, I don't fear that we're going to be conquered without. My concern is that we're rotting within. Thomas Jefferson said, yes, we did produce a near-perfect per- republic, but will we keep it? Or will we, in, we, in the enjoyment of plenty, lose the memory of freedom? Material abundance without character is the surest way to destruction. Listen, I respect our leadership, and we can talk about becoming prosperous and, and being, being materially great again, but that without character means absolutely nothing when it comes to what the Word of God says and what God says about His people. You and I are to be a part of a, of a group of people called the remnant of God. 
And the remnant are those that follow him no matter what. We don't cave because of the Republican Party. We don't cave because the Democratic parties are not getting along. We don't cave because they pull in prayer at our school. We don't cave in or, or throw up our hands and tug tail and run because we can't say or read the Bible in the public school anymore. We stand strong. We stand in our faith unashamedly and be willing to tell people that Jesus loves them. A mother and a father got angry with their little boy and they spanked him. Then yelled at him to come to the dinner table. Then they yelled at him to sit down. Then they yelled at him to say the blessing. And when he, and when they, he did pray, he prayed this prayer. Father, I thank you that you have prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The sad fact today is homes have become bed seats of increasingly people that seem to be against one another and enemies. Rather than foes and family and friends, they become enemy. Most homes today... As we see here in verse 11, some people curse their father and do not thank their mother. Homes have become a part of anger and abuse and attack. And instead of honoring the father and the mother, the attitude is growing. We better get them before they get us. We're living in a very sad day. But yet a day that we're getting closer and closer to the perfect storm. We're producing a generation of some of the most disobedient, demanding, disrespectful, depraved young people in human history. And some of you sitting here today will say, well, my goodness, I, I, I don't feel good about that. Well, then don't be that way. Be right the opposite of that and grow up the way God wants you to, to, to be. The reason that we have such a problem today is not necessarily because of the delinquent children. It's because we have delinquent parents. They're not taking their role as the God-given guardians that God has put us over and seeing to it that those kids are reared up in a God-fearing home. You see, there's studies all done everywhere, and, and one was put out by U.S. News and World Report called The Studies of Delinquency. And here's what they conducted at Harvard University. It shows six out of every ten juvenile delinquents have fathers who drink to excess. Many have mothers who drink to excess. Three out of four are, per, are permitted by parents to come and go as they please. Three out of five are from homes where there is discord between the child and the parents. Seven out of ten are from homes where there's no group or family recreation. Four out of five have parents who take no interest in their children at all. Where mothers are, are said to the delinquent boys, they're indifferent to me. Where girls are saying that my mother is indifferent in, in so many ways. Many have come from broken homes, and few get any religious training. Ladies and gentlemen, if you think that the church was put here just to religiously train your children, I got news for you. That is your job. Your job is to see to it that they find out who God is. Your job is to teach them how to pray. Your job is to grow them up and teach them about the Bible. It wasn't meant just for the church to do that. But you know what? That's basically what 
most kids and all most kids get. When I went to Bible school, Bible college in 1970, I entered in, married in 77, went to Bible college in 1978 in Florida. They asked a question. They said, I want you to tell me, did Adam take the animals in two by two, four by four, or ten by ten? And I'm going, I don't know who did that. And here I am called of God, but I, was, I didn't grow up knowing that it was Jeremiah. I, but I, I didn't grow up knowing all that stuff. And I was stupid when it came to the Bible. I had to go for my survival and for the people that have to hear me preach. Our, go- our government is very obvious. I've been listening to so much news, I'm, I'm about sick of w- watching the news because it's the same old, same old. If you watch it, it's the same old, same old. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, it's the same old, same old. They just can't get off of it. It's just like a broken record. But what isn't broken, our nation and our world is falling apart. What isn't broken is that our families are deteriorating. What isn't broken is that you and I are heading. You see, churches are declining. People don't want to go to church anymore. People are getting mad about the church. You stand for truth, they get mad. I don't want to be told what the truth is. Well, I promise you, when you stand before Jesus Christ one day, and you will, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, you will thank God that somebody told you the truth. Amen? Amen. Y'all begin to scare me there a little bit. Well, that's all sounds good night, Mike. I came in here ready to uh, shoot fireworks off. Now I feel like I've been shot. Well, I want to share with you on a positive side. If you'll take your Bibles and turn for the remaining part of the time. In Mark chapter 4, what do we do as believers when everything else around us is coming unglued? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I'm going to let Jesus answer it. And we're going to begin reading in verse 35, Mark chapter 4. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. He was already in the boat, so they started out, leaving the crowds behind. Although Luke is the only one that shares this in parentheses, there were other boats that followed. But a soon a fierce storm arose. High waves began to break into the boat until it was nearly, nearly fully filled with water. Now, I got news for you. I am a, I love to fish. I just do. And I love to go to the sea. Now, the sea is cool when it's not turmoil. The key, the sea, the key, it's, it's cool to be out in the sea when your boat runs. Or you're not out there stranded like I've been several times in my life. That's no fun. But for the most part, I don't know what it is, but I just love fishing in the ocean. But I've also seen the ocean. I was fishing, I'll never forget, and, and I was out on my pontoon when I used to have one, and all of a sudden the sirens started going off. And there was a tornado coming. And all of a sudden, that sea went to calm to, to, I didn't think I was going to get in. And I was only a mile or two offshore. And, and so, the, the things can happen and storms can come. 
But in verse 37, but soon a fierce storm, high waves began to hit. Jesus in verse 38, but says he was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. In the midst of the storm now, Jesus was taking a nap. All of a sudden, the disciples frantically woke up shouting, Teacher, don't you even care that we're going to drown? When he woke up, the Bible says he rebuked the wind and the water and said, Quiet that. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's a couple of things that's very important here that we don't need to miss. Number one, verse 35. When you and I have storms, and you're going to have storms. I don't see Rick here today. He's probably with his wife, Miss Connie Elder. They were down camping last weekend. They didn't anticipate a storm, personal storm that came to their life. They were out on their pontoon boat. They were pulling an inner tube. I don't know who they were pulling, but all of a sudden, Rick made an adjustment. Connie was in the seat sideways and fell and broke the femur bone in her foot. She had to go immediately to St. Mary's, had to go be operated on. You just never know when something, you don't want to do that on your vacation, but sometimes that happens. Sometimes things come our way and they're unexpected. We don't ask for them. We don't pray for them. They just come. So don't say that even though you and I will be delivered from the storm of, 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 of the tribulation, we still have individual storms. Verse 35, we see that Jesus had just told them what they were going to do. He said, we're going to the other side. Now, don't miss this. Jesus knew that they were going into a storm. When Jesus fell asleep in the back of the boat on a cushion, he knew exactly that they were going to go through a storm. What does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. There are going to be times that you and I are going to go through storms. And some of those storms will be for the purpose and plan of Jesus. Now, I want you to remember this. In light of your personal storm, you and I need to remember the promise of Jesus. What was the promise here? What what did he tell them? We're going to the other side. What does that mean? That means that nobody had to worry about anything. That boat wasn't going to sink. They weren't going to drown. Why? Because Jesus made a promise. What was the promise? In the light of no matter what storm is coming, you're going to the other side. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, and we see the promise fulfilled, they all landed safely on the other side of the sea. Now, let's be honest. When storms hit your life, it could be a serious storm. It could be the death of someone you love very much. It could be some serious financial stuff going on in your life or, or whatever. Do you remember the promise of Jesus? Let me tell you of a promise that these guys were given that they had forgotten. If you want to write this down, I'm not going to wait on you to turn. It's, it's Isaiah 43, verse 2. Listen to this, because this is a promise that they were living under. When you go through deep waters and get in trouble, I will be there. 
when you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned. The flames will not consume you. That's a promise. Now look, guys. Some of you are so caught up and connected to these bodies that you think these bodies are you. Did you hear what I said? Your body is not you. You live in this tent. You walk in this body. You do good things or mess up in this body, but that body ain't you, bro. That's just your tent. So, yeah, rain's going to come. It's, rain is not always absent from pain. Things are going to take place. But these guys couldn't drown. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Now, let me tell you something. There's a second thing we need to remember. And that is we need to rest in the presence of Jesus. Verse 36, now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along, Jesus along in the boat. He was already there, and, and other little boats were with him. What does that mean? That means a little navy was heading to the other side. But the Scripture says, as we think about resting in the presence of Jesus... The reason they didn't have anything to worry about in their particular little boat. What was different about their boat than all the other boats? Jesus was in that boat. Now, let me tell you something. If you're here today and you know without a shadow of a doubt, if you were to die right now, and I hope you do, that Jesus lives within your heart and that you're born again, you're saved, you don't have a thing to worry about. Why? Because Jesus is in your boat. And every time you go through a storm, you can rest like Jesus with his head on the cushion in the midst of turbulent waters. But I'm telling you right now, my friend, many of us, we get all, we get to worry. And you know what happened? The disciples, they got to worrying about the water. They got to worry. said, Jesus, the boat's filling up. The storm is raging. We're going to drown. Don't think that we're not any better than that sometimes. Especially when you find yourselves a little short on one month or week. Or you just have a terrible accident. And the insurance don't cover your van and you total it. You get some turbulent call. Many of you have gotten those calls, or you're not getting any calls at all. And somebody's turned their back on you. You see, the difference here is when you and I know Jesus, we've got him in our boat. He's in our ship. And immediately, when they ran into the storm, and we're going to hit storms. One day, the doctor's going to call you and going to tell you, you know what? I don't like what I see on this test. One day, you're going to get a call from the morgue. Putty had a friend that was just going to a simple 47, uh, 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 I mean, a uh, firework. His nephew, 47 years old, went to pick something up. 
50 grand. Less than what? A few hours. He's gone. Massive heart attack. Ladies and gentlemen, I used to think 47 was ancient until I became 63. And you know what? I realized how fortunate I was just to be 47. Some of you sitting here a whole lot younger, but you know what? Age doesn't have much to do with what goes on in our world today, the way we eat. You go out at any time. Jesus knew that they were doubting him. They knew they were in trouble. But they were ignoring the fact that Jesus was in the boat. There was a fire broke out in an oil well that caught on fire. And there was an all-point bulletin that went out. And man, the the owner said, I offer $30,000 to anybody that can come and put this fire out. Well, all these nice fire engines and all these wonderful trucks and all this promptness and all these hoses and all these ladders, they would get there, and they couldn't get within 200 feet of that blaze. And then here came out of the shot out like out of a cannon, an old ragged-looking fire truck, didn't have a ladder, three buckets of water, two buckets of sand, and a blanket. Those guys got right to where everybody stood, and that truck just shot right on past. All of them standing there, and finally they they stopped, finally, and they were in the middle of the fire. Two buckets of sand, two or whatever I said, three buckets of water all hit, and they beat that fire out with a blanket. Immediately, the, the oil guys handed the $30,000 cash to the band that was driving that truck. He said, I want to know, what are you going to do with this $30,000? He said, the first thing we're going to do is get those stupid brakes fixed on that truck. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes we're thrown into the fire through no fault of our own, right? Some of you go through the fire because you put yourself in the middle of the fire. But then sometimes we're thrown into the fire not of anything of our own doing. And what Jesus is trying to say is that, look, just because you're my believer, just because you're my sons, just because you're my daughters, just because you're my children, you're still going to have to face some storms. You're going to have to face some, some problems. You see, safety is not the absence of problems. Safety is the absence of the presence of Jesus. And realize, if you're a believer, you have that promise that He's there with you. Thirdly, when trouble comes, when the storms hit, we need to also rely on the power of Jesus. You see, in verse 38 and 39, the Bible says Jesus looked out and rebuked the sea. Rebuked the wind. What does that mean? It means that as he was rebuking demons out, and he called unto the, the storm 
and the winds and the waves. And basically what he was saying, sit down and shut up. And like a little puppy at the feet of Jesus, everything went calm. If you don't think that we don't have access or that we don't have entrance with the power of God, it's because you've never had to rely on it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you storms are coming. And there's one big one brewing. Jesus looked at him and said, you know what, disciples, your greatest danger is not this storm. It's your doubt. It's your lack of faith. I made a promise. We're going to get to the other side. I'm in the boat with you. And now they've seen. Hey, listen, that wasn't the first time they saw the display of the power of God. And sometimes we limit that. God gives us a little inside of something that you start sensing and feeling the power of God, and we think we are somebody. I got news for you. God's power is a whole lot bigger than you ever thought of being. As a matter of fact, you and I can only think outside of the box of this earth by what we've been taught in school about the galaxies. But God says, I even feel, and I'm in control, and I feel the outside of what we know. We can't even fathom. God was there. We sell him short, ladies and gentlemen, by our doubt. I've said it many times. You're either going in, you're either heading to the middle of a storm, you've just come out of one, or you're just going to head into the one. But the next time one hits unexpectedly, and your world begins to collapse around you, I want you to remember this little song. The Gaithers wrote this song. I thought about singing it, and I'm just going to read it. I had many tears and sorrows. I had questions about tomorrow. I had times when I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave perfect constellation. That my trials come only to make me strong. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. For if I didn't have any problems, how would I know that God could solve them? I wouldn't know what faith in God would do. And I make this statement, and I close with this statement. You... And I need storms. You want to know why? Because if you and I did not have them, we wouldn't understand at all what it is to have God intervene. Many of us would never even begin to cry out if we never faced any opposition, if we never faced any pain. And he's suffering. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you this question. 